the better optics you have, the more you want to use them because number one, they're just like, it's a more pleasant viewing experience, right? But they're also doing more for you. So you're being more effective with them and you can just see, yeah, the better optics you have, the more you're going to use them. If you got crummy optics, you're not going to want to use them. They're not doing anything for you. You might as well be carrying a lead weight with you, you know? Hey, welcome to the Hoyt Bowhunting Podcast. I'm your host today, Alan Bolin. And I have the pleasure of chatting with Mark Boardman with Vortex Optics. Uh, Mark, how you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm good. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Yeah, I, I'm, I love optics. So I'm really excited about our conversation today. Yeah, I am as well. Anytime we get to chat about optics, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. So uh, yeah, this will be a fun one. I, I have like way too many. I have... I mean, I have everything from a seven by 25 to 15 by 56s and like literally at every stop in between. And then my scopes, I, I run three different scopes for different scenarios too. Like I'm way too geeked out on this stuff. That's just, that's just clean living, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, you'll, you'll have to like, uh, you'll have to be honest with me and like, you know, tell me, cause I, I want to, today I want to talk a lot about, you know, we could talk about a general purpose optic, like what's going to be your best. If you're going to own one optic and you want to use it in a lot of different scenarios, but then also if you want to specialize, you know, there's obviously a huge difference between Midwest whitetail hunting and Arizona coos deer hunting. Absolutely. From optic yep. standpoint. Right. So yeah, I want to dive into that with you, but first of all, so where do you live and tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. Man, quick, quick backstory, uh, if I'm capable of doing that, but uh, originally from Washington State, so born and raised. Um, so am I, man. Oh, no way. What part? I grew up in Vancouver, Washington area. Oh, cool, man. That's a great part of the state. So I grew How up you? Uh, uh, like uh, Bellevue area, suburbs of Bellevue, oh, yeah. you know, east of Seattle. So yeah. nice. and then, yeah, and then I went to, went to school on the east side of the state. So I went to Washington State University, go Cougs, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, um, and finished up school there and just always passionate, you know, hunter and, and fisherman grew up in a hunting fishing family. Like that's what yeah. we did, you know, yeah. um, from a, from a very early age. I mean, we, we fished for salmon, we hunted blacktails, we hunted Roosevelt elk, yeah. um, you know, grouse, things like that. And I mean, that's what consumed our, our weekends. Are you right? still you know, in Washington? I'm not. So no, I'm based, uh, I'm in Wisconsin now. So I oh, guess, you know, okay. fast, yeah. fast forward, right. Uh, got out of school, passionate hunting, fishing, wanted to have a career in it. Couple of retail jobs later, found myself at, uh, Cabela's working at their corporate headquarters in Nebraska. Yeah. And then from there, uh, got an opportunity at Vortex going on 15 years ago, which is hard to believe, hard to believe. Yeah. And, uh, man, found, found a home here, you know, love optics, love hunting. It's a great company, great culture, you know, just, uh, you know, all the things, all the things that you look for. Right so, uh, definitely settled here in, in the great state of Wisconsin. Uh, we're blessed with fantastic whitetail deer and turkey hunting. I missed, According I missed the mountains. According to the Boone and Crockett record book, there are more, more big whitetails in Wisconsin than anywhere else. That it's it's a good state for whitetail hunting, and it, and what's interesting about that, and I and I'll say this is a a good, like it's a good thing. We have a very strong deer hunting tradition here, yeah. Um, and a lot of that is geared around the gun season, right? We've got a yeah. nine day gun season, yep. And it's very close to the rut. 
and it's very close to the right. Yeah, yep. that, that's the issue with, with Wisconsin. Like you look in the Boone and Crockett record book and you think, oh my gosh, this is the Mecca. But then when you actually understand that that rifle hunt, if you're a bow hunter, it might not be the best spot unless you have a large track of private that's controlled and you yeah. can, you know, you're not competing with the rifle hunt. Yeah, exactly. You know, so yeah, looking at it from purely a bow hunting mindset, uh, might not be the best thing. Right. Right. But, um, you know, even at the end of the day, and I'd say you'd almost, you almost wouldn't think so, but man, like we, we get after them. A lot of people deer hunt here. A lot of people rifle Mm -hmm. hunt hunt here. A lot of deer get shot during that rifle season every year. There's still, there's still big bucks crawling around. (laughs) There's still a lot of deer crawling around. I, uh, crafty. They, they survive they do, you know, and, uh, you know, heck I went out on a piece of public, my first sit for deer here of the year and, uh, you know, had seven, seven deer within bow range, hunted the morning, you know, on a piece of public, one was a little buck, you know, year and a half old, you know, forky came through and I don't know. I, but early October you're, you're seeing action and yeah, on the bow hunt. That's great. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I personally like it. You know, we're, we're also blessed. We can shoot two bucks here, which then you compound that, right? You're like, well, are there, how are there any deer left? I don't know. Somehow there's a heck of a lot of deer left. So, and you can shoot, you know, one buck during the archery season and then one buck during the rifle season. You can't do, you know, two of either of those things. It's a, it's a one each, but uh, a lot of opportunity that's for sure. So that makes it fun. Right on, man. Well, that's, that's cool. It's a great place to live, to, to enjoy it continually. Um, so, so let's, let's talk a little optics and I, I guess maybe the best place to start would be like, just like general purpose. Like if I want to have like an all around optic, a scope and a bino, and uh, we'll talk about rangefinders maybe a little later too, but you know, let's talk about the basic considerations like objective and power and like how those play together and, and what advantages and disadvantages, like by taking either one too far in either direction. And so that somebody could weigh out a decision for a general purpose by now, and then let's get specialized and talk about how we can exaggerate those features in certain directions so that something, you know, fits a, an exact purpose. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the two questions when somebody's looking for a binocular, uh, you know, that I would ask like off the go are, what are you going to use it for? you know, where are you using it? And then how much money you got, buddy? Uh, no, but, um, that actually is part of the equation though. But in general, I'd say, and you can almost go Midwest, East coast, you know, West and, and divide it that way. But, you know, a 10 by 42 or an eight by 42 or a 10 by 50 or an eight by 50, those are going to be your bread and butter do all optics. And, and mm-hmm. I'd say for a lot of folks, any one of those four configurations from a uh, magnification and objective diameter uh, standpoint will get you through the vast majority of the situations yep. that you might find yourself in. And, yep. and I guess, you know, I, I can back up there and say like, so an eight, an eight, an eight by 42, that would be an eight power binocular. So that's going to magnify the image, you know, eight times what your eye would normally see. And then the 42 is the objective diameter. And that's going to be part of the equation of what's uh, letting, uh, you know, the light that the binocular, you know, that hits that lens actually, you know, reach your eyeball. Right. So the bigger the objective, the more light that's let in. Ultimately, yes. And that's that's an all things being equal, because when you're looking. Sure. If the power is equal. Well, the power and then um, 
Like it'll be like when you're comparing models, right? I'd say Vortex is a great example. We have binocular series from, you know, what I would call our entry point all the way up to optics that compete at that true top tier of optical performance, right? Mm-hmm. There'll be multiple models or or configurations within each series throughout, you know, those tiers of quality. Say, gotcha. right? Yeah. So, so you're saying a a uh, the, the the price range and the way they're built. The, there's other intrinsic factors there that will influence the quality of the image and the amount of light being let in beyond just it's an eight by forty two. Exactly. So like if I took, you know, let's say our Diamondback 10 by 42, right? Mm-hmm. And was going to compare that to a 10 by, excuse me, a, let's say I took a Diamondback uh, 10 by 50, right? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to compare that to the 10 by 42 Razor UHD. You know, you're talking that that Razor UHD is short. It's more expensive, right? It's, it's right. a higher quality, yeah. it's more expensive. It's, it's like probably four times the cost, right? Right. So, but you'd say like, oh, well, you know, but you know, the, uh, the, the the diamondbacks got a larger objective diameter. Yeah. So that's going to let in more light than that razor. Well, no. So you got to like, when you're comparing different configurations, you have to compare it to, you know, apples to apples, like things within that series. And that's when, that's when kind of these rules of thumb apply when you're comparing, uh, you know, maybe a, a lesser quality bino to a higher quality bino some of those things fall apart because there's just, there's just so many things at play there. Yeah. That's a really great point. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Which is like, that's maybe a company that has in a way like the widest range of, of levels of, of sort of cost and quality. Like you have everything from pretty inexpensive to very expensive and very good. Yeah. You know, and that's one thing we work hard at is, you know, providing optics, no matter who the user is going to be, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and within those tiers of, of price and quality, you know, we want to make sure that, you know, Hey, if you got 200 bucks to spend on a binocular, you better believe we want to give you the best $200 binocular that you can get. Right. And if you've got $1,500 mm-hmm. to spend a binocular, we want you to get the best $1,500 binocular yeah. that you can get. But um, you know, realistically, right. Like not everybody has 1500 bucks, right. Yeah, yeah, or at least, you know, to yeah. dedicate towards that. So, uh, yeah, we, we've got it. We've got a deep line of op of optics to, you know, suit the user. And, and sometimes depending on how a person uses their optics, they might not need a $1,500 binocular, you know, a $230 mm-hmm. diamondback 10 by 42, that's going to do everything they ever need it to do. Right. So you just need to, you know, when a person's looking at optics or set of binos or, or, you know, whatever, whatever optic they're looking at, everybody has different needs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's honestly hard for me to imagine a set of needs that, that wouldn't want the best optic possible just because I love good optics. But also like when you spend, I guess there's a, there's a difference between seeing a deer and occasionally lifting up your binos to see what it is. And sitting there for 10 hours a day behind a tripod glassing in the desert heat, like there's huge difference there. And so, so back, so back to objective and power, I want to make sure that I understand the, the key concept. So I've always understood that you divide the objective by the power to get a number that is sort of a number that can compare. So like a 10 by 50, you know, 50 divided by 10 is five. And an eight by 40, 40 divided by eight is five. Those are both a five and should generally let in about the same amount of light. But if you were to bump that, say, 
a 10 by 40, well, now you're only a four. And so that is not as much light as the eight by 40 or the 10 by 50. Um, and so by dividing that, you know, you get sort of a reference number that lets you compare different powers and different objectives across the board. Do you find that to be a good rule of thumb? Yeah, for sure. So that that uh, equation that you have there, that's going to give you your your exit pupil, right? So, right. Uh, you know, which is essentially the the diameter of the shaft of light that is, you know, uh, reaching your eye. And if you, if you have a set of binoculars in front of you, you can actually you can like visibly see the exit pupil if you hold the binoculars kind of away away from your face, but stare mm. through the eyepieces or look through the eyepieces. I understand what you're saying. You see that circle you see that circle. So that yep. that's your exit pupil. It's measured in millimeters. And like you said, and you get it from dividing the objective by the power. So, you know, like you said, if you have a, a, a binocular, you know, essentially two binoculars in the same series, you know, uh, the 10 by 50 is going to have a larger exit pupil than the 10 by 42. Mm-hmm. Um, and where that's important or, or where it's most important is those low light situations, right? Mm-hmm. Because... Right. Your the pupil of your eye can really number one it can only you know dilate so far or you know contract so far right so but during the middle of the day let's say let's say you know we're outside it's it's noon and we're looking through a ten by forty two and a uh, a ten by fifty of 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 like models right mm-hmm. well it's bright sun. So your eye is going, it's it's going to constrict, like your pupil is going to constrict. So you're not even using all Mm -hmm. of the available light that's coming in through that 10 by 50. Gotcha. Okay. Now you get to the end of the day. So that's, what's actually happening. Your pupils restricting, constricting. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I didn't know that. And that's, what's actually physically happening. That's why it doesn't make that much of a difference in the middle of the day. Right. Now you get to the, get to the end of the day. Right. Yeah. Boom. You know, your eyes, pupil, you know, dilates, it's letting in more light. Uh, the more light your binocular binocular can essentially let in is mm-hmm. going to reach your eye. And then you're going to have those brighter images, you know, in low light situations, which we all know as hunters are critical parts of yeah. the day, you know, so Very critical. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I was in, I was in Oregon last month hunting blacktail. You'll appreciate that being a Washington I do. guy. I do so appreciate I, that. We were, we, were, we were trying, there's a couple big bucks out there. We were trying to kill. We were trying hard. We never got them. But the guy I was with, we were in, in the stand uh, together one night and there were, there were deer in front of us and we didn't want to get out. Like it was past shooting light. And, but we didn't like, we didn't want to blow the deer out. So we were just letting them meander by. And, and um, so, but we were, I had a pair of eight by 32s and I won't talk about brands here, but I had a pair of eight by 32s, very high quality optics. And he had a very high quality pair of 10 by 42s. So eight by 32, 10 by 42. So my exit pupils are four, 32 divided by eight. And his is just a little over four, 42 divided by 10, but they were different brands, both top brands. And we, sw- we whispered and switched binos back and forth to look at the deer and his outperformed mine. So his 10 by 42 outperformed my eight by 32. Would you have expected that? Like, is that, is that exit pupil different difference of 0.2 or whatever? I don't know exactly the measurement, but would that be a big enough difference? Or do you think that's probably a brand and construction ish, you know, uh, result? So I think that's, you know, likely a result of, well, number one, it's difficult to say because 
with them not being, even though they're both, like you said, that alpha class level, it sounds like there's still going to be a lot of differences in the optical optical design and, mm. you know, what the makeup of that binocular. I would say his was the higher power binocular, though. His was higher power and and slightly higher exit pupil because 10 divided by 42, 42 divided by 10 is slightly over four. Mm hmm where mine was a flat for 32 divided by eight. Yeah. I think the, I think the magnification, the exit pupil, and then, you know, the, I guess, you know, the unknowns of the differences between yeah. the optical design and the components there. Like that's not surprising to me. Well, that, cause I was trying to think, is this brand, is this brand better than my brand? Cause they're both like top, top brands. Right. And so I'm like, I wonder if this brand's actually better. I'm thinking that, but I'm also thinking, well, it's more power and it's a tiny bit more exit pupil. And maybe that's given it an edge, but it's an edge that both of us could actually see. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so I, no, I'm not surprised at like, you know, the result that you, that you had there. And I think it's also a really good representation of when you should be comparing optics, because that's yeah. when you're going to, you know, those critical low light periods, that's when, you know, an optical system is going to reveal, you know, at least part of what it's capable of doing, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and, and it actually is now that I'm thinking about it, it is a really big, uh, sort of evidence that this stuff matters. Cause here I am with two pairs of binos that cost over $2,000 and they should be similar. And I'm seeing noticeable difference. Mm -hmm. So that tells um, you that the difference between, you know, vastly different specs on both, you know, the build quality and, and those, those key, those key power objective things, you're going to see dramatic differences. If we're seeing a difference, even when they should be very close. Mm -hmm. Another thing that's probably happening there, and I was going to mention this as well, because oftentimes, like we just did, we talked about objective diameter in terms of letting light in, right? Like bigger objective, going to you know allow more light right. in. Um, another thing is going on there that's also really important and a person should consider when selecting a binocular is that, you know, kind of all things being equal, the objective diameter is going to give you better resolution as well right so if i have two uh if i have a, a 10 by 42 razor uhd and a 10 by 50 razor uhd not only mm -hmm. is the 10 by 50 gonna uh you know have a little bit better light transmission it's also gonna have a higher resolution right oh really so so okay. that's important i mean it's almost like having, that. it's like um it's like it's like you have more pixels hitting your eye in a way like for for lack of a better description with that larger objective diameter Interesting, like true resolution, because the, the the picture is bigger. Because yeah, like it's it's. I guess that the way I'm describing it is a way to describe it. But the end result is yeah, you're gonna have yeah. when you're comparing, you know, two like binoculars, one with a larger objective diameter, same power. Yeah, you're you're gonna have better resolution. So that could have been part of what you were seeing too. Like yeah. it's, it's always difficult because you're you're comparing, you know, two different not only different configurations, but two different binoculars from different right. um, yeah. companies. Another thing that comes into play there and really any binocular is, um, you know, one of the binoculars that you were looking through in that scenario, maybe that manufacturer um, has like, you know, trends toward like a, like a warmer, you know, a warmer picture. Mm. When you look through the binocular, uh, yeah. one might be cooler. Yeah. Um, some of that, comes down That's to personal coding. preference too. Is that from the coding? 
so yeah, it's going to be, yeah, your, you know, your optical coatings. Um, mm. and we should get into, you know, optical coatings as well. So like, there's just a lot of things at play there, you know? Yeah. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, the difference between eight and 10, let's talk about that. Um, I'm a huge fan of eights and, and people all the time are like, why would you like an eight? It's not as good as a 10. And they don't necessarily in certain situations, like on a tripod without question, a 10 is going to blow away an eight on a tripod, but free-handed standing, in my opinion, an eight beats a 10 because there's no shake or there's less shake. Right. right. And so I get better results out of an eight. If I'm walking around, picking up my binos every, and, and looking as I'm walking, or for example, in a stand, I like an eight because like, there's no shake in the stand. You get in awkward positions, sometimes turning, but not trying to move and different things like that. I like an eight because there's less shake in those awkward positions. I can't always get my elbows in the right place to support. Um, what are your thoughts on 10 versus eight? Oh man, as much as I hate to say it, more power isn't always better. So yeah, an eight is really going to shine or lower power binocular is going to shine in a lot of scenarios for the reasons that you described. As you go up in magnification, like you're magnifying your image and you're also magnifying, you know, your movements. Like you said, like maybe you're having, you're in an awkward position and you're, you're having to one hand it. Okay. Well, your hand is going to be moving a little bit more you know, an eight is going to have less perceived movement because it's not magnifying that movement as much. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So an eight can be great there. An eight can be great because you are in a, uh, a tighter uh, quarters scenario where you, yeah. it's more benefit to actually be backed off of the subject yeah. that you're trying right, right. to acquire an eight might allow you to have a, you know, you'll have a, a, a higher exit pupil than like, you know, mm -hmm. like a, compared to a 10. If, if you have a, the same objective. If you have the same objective. So like where... And so the other thought too, I'll, I'll throw out another advantage I forgot to mention is it allows you to, it allows you to lower the objective and achieve the same exit pupil, therefore having a lighter weight and smaller profile piece. So like an eight by 32, like I was saying, the reason I own an eight by 32 is it's tiny and light and it still has a four exit pupil. So it's the same as a 10 by 40, but now I'm dealing with something that's, you know, 80% of the weight and 80% of the size, which can be handy. And if I, and if I feel like the 10 kind of shaky in these certain situations anyway, why not? Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's a good point. Like if you're looking to, you know, shave weight, have a more compact binocular, if those are things, or if those are attributes of a binocular that you find valuable, handy, practical, yeah. As you go down an objective diameter, you are going to, you know, generally have a smaller frame binocular, right? So, yeah, yeah. or even, even in the case of like an eight by 42 versus like a, you know, versus like getting a 10 by 50, right? Like I'd say that's a very, right. cause those would be similar. Yeah. Yeah. Cause those would be, you're going to have that similar exit pupil at the end of the day. I mean, it's kind of the mm -hmm. same scenario that you're describing just a different, you know, different step up and, uh, but you've got, you know, high power, a large objective, you know, with the, a larger objective than like a 32 with the 42. Mm -hmm. Um, but you're not going up in size of binocular, like the physical binocular itself. And you're, you know, so you're kind of getting the best of all the worlds there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then, so, so to contradict myself, I also love 12s and 15s. I freaking love them in different scenarios. So when I feel like the majority of my glassing, like say 80% of my glassing is going to be seated, I switch to 12 or 15. And like sheep hunting and those kind of hunts, I carry a 12 because I, I feel like the 12, I can still glass standing if I need to. But when I sit down and put those on a tripod, oh my goodness, like you, the tripod, man, let's talk about tripods because it's, it's unbelievable. Like I've had situations where like I'm with a buddy who's I remember this one situation. I'm, I have this buddy who he's a professional guide. He does it like year round. Right. And I'm mm-hmm. not, I have a regular job. I hunt a lot, but this guy's year round. His he's, he has better eyes than I do. Like he can spot. He always outspots me. I mean, it's maybe like three to one. Right. Well, we went on this one particular hunt and I brought my tripod and he didn't. I freaking crushed him, crushed him like five to one. And it was because I, and I think we were both using tens. Okay but I was on a tripod and he was on his knees, you know, and there was a big difference. So uh, I mean, when do you like starting to use a tripod? What kind of situations? Number one, absolute game changer. You know, if you, if you haven't been tripod glassing and then you do it for the first time, it, I nearly guarantee it'll be like one of those aha moments. And then you'll also re- instantly go back in your memory banks and wonder how much stuff you've missed because you weren't tripod glassing. Nice. It, it is life-changing. Like it, I fully believe like it will change your hunting life. I think also people, when they do think about tripod glassing, they think it's only like a, um, like a wide open landscape thing. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. like coos deer, you know, the first time I ever tripod glass was coos deer hunting, Right. you know, like big open mountain country, you know, tearing apart, you know, these vast landscapes. Yeah. You got to go up to a 12 or you're going to be running an 18 or something like that. Yeah. It does shine there 10,000%, but it will, you know, going back to, you know, the blacktails example, which, you know, not everybody hunts blacktails. I get that. Right. But it's like, it can be like closer quarters country, but it also can be, you can be glass and, you know, clear cuts, that are, you know, 600 yards away, 800 yards away, 300 yards away, Mm -hmm. but they're tangled mess. You know, those deer hiding, you might only see just tiny parts of the deer. You might only see, you know, an ear an ear flick, maybe only their head is popping out, you know, maybe they're buried in brush and you, you know, whatever the scenario, very, very handy, very effective at some of those more intermediate distances as well. So, um, I, I wouldn't, I would never rule it out for that. And then, like you said, though, you get into, you know, those more open landscapes and you're just, you're going to see more, like you're instantly more stable. You can be more methodical. Our human eyes, like we spot movement, right? Well, mm-hmm. when you're moving, like you were talking about before, you're when you're moving, your movement, yeah, yeah, it's hard to spot other movement. When yeah, you're rock solid right. and you're just staring into that, you know, crystal clear field of view, the you're tiniest those, twitch, the tiniest twitch. I mean, when you're seeing like tiny birds flit around at you know mm-hmm. 700 yards, you're like, oh, wait a minute, yeah, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't seen be that seeing before. that, yeah. Um, yeah. you and know, the methodical I mean, thing is huge too. And just so the listeners, in case they don't know what you mean there, you can grid things with, with a good tripod. You know, you say you start at the top of the mountain and you work across the mountain and you lower it one level and work back across and lower it another level and work back across. And I think the best, I think with the tripod, the point is that you should move it to a spot 
and then spend a certain amount of time looking at a spot without moving it at all. Mm-hmm. Then move it to the next frame and spend a certain amount of time looking without moving it. Cause that's when you'll see something. If you're with a tripod and you're like continually like gliding the tripod horizontally, I, I mean, it might be a little bit better than not having a tripod, but you're not getting the full advantage. No, you're not. Like you said, you have to, you have to stop and just, you know, really dissect that entire, def- entire field of view. And that's when you're going to see that ear twitch. I always bring up the example. I was hunting with coos deer with a guy and he spotted a buck to, uh, that was buried in a Palo Verde bush uh, when it licked its nose. Like he saw the deer lick its nose. And he's like, oh, oh yeah. what was that? And it turned out to be a big buck, right? Like you're just not going to see that unless you're locked yeah. on a tripod. You know, the other big thing with that is, you know, or how how I would approach tripod glassing. And some of this is probably like super intuitive, but creep into a spot. Like I always look with my eyes first, right? Like boom, quick scan of the stuff that's close, quick scan of the hillside. I mean, you might spot some very obvious stuff with your widest field of view, like your eyeballs. Right. Right. And then I'll, uh, you know, like I said, I, I start close in because those are the deer that are, or whatever game you're after that are likely to spook. Then it's like, okay, let's look at the horizon. Let's check that. Maybe there's something that's just going over the top that you won't otherwise see unless you look right now. Nice. And that's with your eyes and your binoculars. Then, you know, with your hunting experience, like you generally know or have, you know, a degree of knowledge of like what attributes of the hill that animal might gravitate to, or maybe there's just the prime looking spots. Yeah. Yeah. Hit those prime spots, you know, the open obvious openings. Right. And mm-hmm. then once I've done that, it's like, okay, cool. Now, maybe we haven't found anything. Okay. Now let's start picking apart the landscape. Let's, you know, let's grid it exactly the way that you said. And people will have different, you know, methodologies as far as, you know, how they like to grid. Uh, I generally, you know, start at the top and go left to right and then right to left and just kind of, you know, almost like S turn my way down, stopping like at every little bump, like, you know, like you said, just like move it until you're looking at just that next little chunk. Right. And then Mm -hmm. boom, move it till you're looking at that next little chunk. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so that, that's how I approach tripod glassing, but it's just such a game changer. And you don't, like I said earlier, you don't even have to have, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about 12s cause I love 12s too. But, um, let's say you've got a 10 by 42 or a 10 by 50. Dude, 10s on a tripod are deadly, really deadly. You know, yeah, they're amazing. And Mike McDowell in our office, he's crazy smart with optics. Um, but he mentioned to me one time, and I think it was like a study that was done, but like when you put a 10 effectively, like if you put a 10 power bino on a tripod, it becomes a 20 power bino. You know what I mean? Right. So when, yeah. then you think, then you think about like, well, let's see when I'm looking through my spotting scope, oftentimes, gosh, a lot of times I'm actually even on 20 power, you know? So now yeah. I've taken my binocular. That's a 10 power bino that I can look through both eyes, which is way more comfortable. Uh, mm. You know, less, less strain. I fatigue, like it's just an overall, in my opinion, a way more pleasant glassing experience. Absolutely. And I've turned, I've turned my tens effectively into twenties. Like that's a really big deal. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Tens on a tripod are insanely good. You know, you're going to have a little bit wider field of view too, you know? So. Yeah, that's true. You're going to see more. And and there is something to be said, like even when you're grid searching, like when you move from one field of view to the next, when you, you got to be careful about over, you want to overlap the edges mm-hmm. because you don't necessarily see things in the edges as well. For one, there's no optic that's as clear on the very edge as it is in the center. Mm-hmm. Like they're going to be more clear in the center, but also, you, you know, you, your focus there when you're, 
even, you know, when you're, when you are, when you have your, your binos fixed on a piece of the hill, you're obviously moving your eyes, your eyes are moving, looking at different parts of, you know, the field of view, but you may miss, you're most likely to miss something on the edges if you miss it. So you definitely want it. So that field of view makes a difference. hundred percent. Cause now all of a sudden it's a bigger, bigger place. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Some people, they think, oh, they're only tens. I don't need a tripod. And man, you're missing out with that, with that thinking, you know, one thing I will say, one thing I learned, I've, I have carried 15s before on mountain hunts, just because I know the glassing is going to be so tough that I just wanted to like make that sacrifice, carry it heavier. And it's not as good for standing, you know, so there are some different techniques. Like you can use your trekking pole or even your bow. You can pull your bow over and put it on the cam as support. It's obviously not that great. Uh, trekking pole is pretty decent, but really sitting down with tripods the best. But one trick I learned that's kind of cool is if you take a pair of 15s and you hold them at the very outermost part of the tubes, are they called tubes? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tubes. So yeah. At, the, at the outermost part of the tubes, and then you put your elbows close together and lean them like against your sternum. So what it does is like, if you're holding the 15s, you know, standing holding and you're holding them close to your eyes, you're going to get tons of shake because there's nothing supporting the end. But if you hold them out at the very end of the tubes and then put your elbows close together for support, they're actually not that bad. I mean, it's not an overly pleasant experience because you do get a little bit of shake and you kind of have to work at it, but they're usable. They're usable. And in some hunts, believe it or not, uh, I've, I care once I carried 15s on a 12 day Sitka blacktail hunt in the high country. <sighs> and, you know, we were just looking over miles and miles and miles of country and the Sitka blacktail deer out there. Very, very easy to see sometimes, but other times they can be tricky. And we're, we're looking for just the right buck. We ended up actually killing a world record on that, on that hunt. Oh, that old but, thing. Um, what's that? I said, Oh, that old thing. Yeah. yeah it's just, you know, one of those, uh, what do you call them? World records. <laughs> yeah. One of those it was archery velvet world record. And, and, you know, but that's like those 15s, like, you know, again, they're not a pleasant piece of glass to use like the, but they, they pay dividends in certain scenarios, man. When you can sit down on, on a tripod and you're glassing two, three miles away, you need them, you know, you do, you know, eights aren't going to cut it two, three miles away. As nope. much as I like my eights, I, I just contradict myself, right? That's what I'm saying. I'm crazy about this stuff, Mark. <laughs> There's so many trade-offs. And if you understand the trade-offs and how it works, you can really optimize your gear for that, for that application. Yeah. I mean, hundred percent. And the situation you're describing there, well, number one, like actually the way you're describing, you know, stabilizing that higher power binocular. I mean, it makes sense. Like you can visualize what you're saying. Like you look at like, you know, a shelf with an L bracket, right? Well, like yeah, that's essentially nice. what yeah. you built for yourself in a way. Right. And there's lots of good ways to stabilize binoculars, like doing, doing what you just said, even if you're, you know, running like your, you, you know, your, your eights, your tens, your twelves, like sucking, you know, you see some guys, they got their, you know, arms out like wings, you know, like, you know, suck those arms in and, and, yeah. you know, stabilize them against your chest. Like you're saying. Yeah. You don't want your, and just to describe, cause nobody's seeing this video, like you don't want your elbows out. So it like forms a T yeah. like you don't want your body to form a T you want everything in line. So you keep your elbows in mm -hmm. when you're standing to glass, when you're, when you're standing 
And, uh, you know, you can, if you're wearing a hat and I'm always wearing a hat, you know, you can, you can stabilize, you know, grab the bill, oh, you? your okay. hat, you know, and use that to yeah. help stabilize. I don't wear, I don't wear a build hat. Uh, so that's an interesting, that's interesting. It's a good tip. There you go. Maybe now, maybe that's like your next piece of optics kit. Just bring yeah. a hat. Yeah. But, uh, and then, you know, I mean, another rule of thumb is like, if you can, you, the further you get from the ground, the less stable you're going to be. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so like if you can, you know, if the train allows or dictates, man, sit down, you know, sit, sit down, down and, and put it on your knees. Yeah. yeah. So there's yeah. just, you know, lots of things you can do and, and being stable is so key. Right. And then, like we said, then you get to, you know, the tripod and it's just like yeah. more stable, uh, less arm fatigue. Um, you can, you know, if you do find something right, you can, you know, lock your tripod head in place. And then, you know, make sure that you stay on it. Or like, let's say you and I are hunting together and I'm like, mm -hmm. dude, I got one. Right. And maybe it's a coos deer and you're like, you just don't want to come off it. But like, I'm right. trying to talk you into it. And you're like, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. The big green bush isn't doing it for me. I can be like, slide out. Boom. You slide. And you're like, okay, cool. Now I see that buck. Right. What's our plan. Right. Yeah. 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 There's just like, there's just so many advantages. Like, and if a person, right, I'm not trying to sell less optics, but if a person was like, if I, well, if I was going out West from, for the first time, I think a lot of people say like, Oh, now I'm kind of tangenting here, but they go, Oh, I'm going out West. I need a spotting scope. I'd say you need a good binocular first. Yep. And then if they're like, well, I could get like an okay binocular and an okay spotting scope. I'd say, well, I would get a good binocular and a tripod for that binocular. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I'm not saying oh, like that. don't get a spotting scope because you do need a spotting scope. But like, if you're kind of like going through that progression, that's the route that I would personally go. And then, mm -hmm. you know, going back to a good set of 12 by fifties, that is a sweet spot for, you know, I'd say those more open landscape Western hunts where you can handhold a 12 pretty darn good. Is it going to be as mm -hmm. good as an eight or a 10? No. Right. You're going to have mm -hmm. more perceived but handshake, it's but it's doable by doing some of the stuff that we talked about previously. They're phenomenal on a tripod. You're kind of getting the best of both worlds. You're like, yeah, I've got like kind of like more magnification, like a 15 or an 18, you know, mm -hmm. not quite, but it allows a person to be like, okay, well, this is my chest bino, right? But it's also my tripod bino. So now you kind of got dual purpose there. And then you probably bring the spotting scope with you as well in that scenario. Yeah. So, cause I'm just, well, you know, otherwise... A 12 by 50 has a better exit pupil than a 15 by 56. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's actually over a four on the 12 by 50 and it's under a four on the 15 by 56. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I use a set of 12s just out of curiosity. The last time I blacktail hunted, which was two years ago, something like that. And I was like, I'm going to commit to the 12s. And I, I was wishing that I had gone with like a 10 by 42 or a 10 by 50, Yeah, but they still worked. Yeah. 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 And you're talking black tail, like you're, you're hunting in thick stuff. Yeah. So it was yeah. like, it, it was that mix of like, yeah. you know, sometimes you're in the timber and some, yeah. but sometimes you're looking, you know, thousand, couple thousand yards away. Right. So we're, right, you know, yeah, glassing right. a lot of clear cuts and yeah. And so yeah, and this, um, in the black tail, just to be clear, the black tail hunting I was talking about, they took the 15s is in August in the Alpine. Yep, exactly. So it's above tree line. And Very yeah, different. I hunt. mean, if I went sick of black tail deer hunting in the rut in November, I'd carry eights because mm -hmm. you're not going <laughs> to, you're going to be looking 30 yards, you know? So, well, you know, you know what I mean? 
it's it's pretty tight for sure for sure okay let's talk scopes a little is there did we miss anything on binos do you do you think we covered that Man, I'm trying to think, you know, probably. Yeah. Answer. Yes. I mean, we could talk about this forever. We're literally scratching the surface of a lot of this stuff, but, you know, I think, you know, a couple covered some of the, you know, the major points of as far as like, which is one of the biggest decisions you got to make. What What's the, con- what configuration configuration am I going to go with? Like that's your baseline mm-hmm. decision for sure. Right. You know? Right. Right. Okay. Well, um, yeah, that, uh, definitely probably gets a lot of guys thinking maybe I need a, a specialized bino for a certain situation, but then again, like a 10 by 42, it can work anywhere, you know, it, that's, it's, it can. And that, you know, that comes full circle into like how we open. It's like, okay, we're going to pick one. What, you're going to pick a do all yeah. 10 by 10 by 42 or 10 by 50. You know, that's what yeah. I use even here in Wisconsin uh, yeah. just because it works. Right. And then if I want to go out West, it works there too. You know, that's kind of, that's yeah. definitely the baseline, but um, oh yeah, there's lots of rabbit holes you can go down. That's for sure. Well, one, one situation I would, I would say, and I'll see if you agree with this, but I would much rather have, like say in, in your line, the highest level 10 by 42, then two of a mid-level, you know, say an eight by 40 and a 15 by 56. Yep. Like I would rather have one really good 10 by 42 than two cheaper, you know, binos that give me a variety. I'd, I'd appreciate that. Personally, I think that. What, what would you say to that question? It's going to depend. It's going to depend a little bit on the person and how they're using it. But yeah, I'd say overall, yeah, I'd, I'd spend my money on optical quality and go with uh, like, if I was like, oh, I want a 10 power and a 12 power. Like, no, I just get like a really high quality 10 power binocular, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But it also shouldn't be your last binocular because there's just so many, you know, and I should say that I speak to this from a, I'd say like a big game generalist perspective where like, I don't just hunt whitetails. I don't just hunt mule deer. Like I hunt a lot of different species all I'd say like just, okay. That's probably why I'm not like great at hunting any one specific thing. Cause I bounce <laughs> around so much. Right. But I also like, I just like different landscapes, different animals, different places, you know, the places that, that, that they take you. But so like, you know, my needs probably are different than maybe somebody else's. Right. Because yeah. you find just like you, you yeah. find yourself in a lot of different landscapes where you need the right yeah. tool for the job. Right. No, I think that definitely well said because a guy who only hunts the whitetail woods in the Midwest is going to have a different buying a choice than a guy who mainly hunts koozie or mule deer in Arizona. Mm-hmm. 100% they're going to be different. So, yeah, they wouldn't have the same all purpose bino, probably. You know, yep. and then but, I'd say yeah. experience, right? Glassing experience trumps a lot too because, oh, you, know, yeah. you know, when you get into a new place, there could be a person that like, man, that's where they're from. That's their thing. And they could have, you know, like an entry level binocular and they're like, bam, 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 bam. You know, and then it takes right, you yeah. a while to catch up. You're like, okay, now I got my coos eye or now I got my whatever yeah. eye, you know? And then, you, yeah. you know, you, so that experience well, is just so monumental yeah. coming into play. Well, they, they say the, the best advice you can give somebody their first time glassing for a coos deer is look for little gray rabbits. Yeah. And they, they might actually find a coos deer, right? <laughs> some of the, some, some of the rabbits in that country are as big as coos deer. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. So let's, let's talk spotting scopes. So what are the key factors when somebody's looking at a scope that, that they should keep in mind? 
Um, man, I'd say a lot of parallels to what we chatted with on binos, right? Mm -hmm. Personally, like I gravitate towards a spotting scope. Like we have, uh, right now in our lineup, like we've got a, uh, a, uh, like we call it the baby razor, right. But it's got a top end of 33. It's got a 50 millimeter objective. Mm -hmm. Like the optical quality is, is really, really good. Right. Is it going to do everything that like a, uh, a full size spotter? you know, like, uh, with a top end of 60, you know, and an Mm -hmm. 85 millimeter objective objective is going to do no, but it can do a heck of a lot. And I'd say if it's the difference between you taking it with you or not on a hunt uh, or or leaving it at the truck, like, like if it's not just a spotter, that's kind of dedicated towards, you know, more truck use or things like that, then that's the one to get the one that you're going to take with you. Right. And I think, Oftentimes people underestimate what you can do with a, a spotter, like in that 50 millimeter objective range. Now that said, I totally you- agree with that. By the way, I have a 55 millimeter spotting scope that, I mean, the thing weighs a pound and a half and I love that scope. Like and you- now, sure. It doesn't do what my 95 and my 85 can do. But man, is it good. And sometimes when I'm backpacking light and I'm out for 10 days, like putting that scope that weighs a pound and a half or whatever, I think it's a pound and a half or maybe it's two pounds, but it is so light. It's a dream to carry. Yeah. I mean, and like, it's just, again, it comes back to the right tool for the job, right? Yep. You know, and, yeah. and, it, and what you put a precedence on. If you're backpacking and space and weight are primary concerns, that's going to be yeah. the one you select if you're, uh, and it depends the species too. Yeah. Like there's yeah. like, I carry that little scope a lot on caribou hunts because caribou are not that hard to see and judge from a did like a caribou two miles away. I can put that scope on it and size it up, but believe it or not, a Sitka blacktail is at two miles is incredibly difficult to size up because the points like to get a 108 inch Boone and Crockett Sitka Blacktail, like you're looking at difference. Is that, is that G3, three inches or four inches mm-hmm. It is so freaking so crazy enough. You would think you wouldn't need a big, but I carry my big ugly on that kind of hunt because it's so, it saves you walking. Like you're looking at a deer that's two and a half miles away across a valley. Like the, it would literally take you all day to cross that valley. Right. In that country. And so having the right scope for the right job literally saves you a day of completely wasted time to walk over there and see, Oh my gosh, this buck isn't what I thought he was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, Oh my gosh. There's like so many nuances, you know, like you said, landscape, what, what game you're after, like how serious are you? Right. Like, or not how serious are you, but like, are you trying to find the world record or are you yeah. trying to, are you trying right. to tell if that, if it's a buck or a bull? That's totally right. If that's all you're trying to do, then always go with the small one. (laughs) Right. You know, but, and then, but on the flip side of that, it's like, oh, okay, well I do most of my spotting from, you know, not too far from the truck or, you know, we're, we're on a hunt where where we're actually logging a lot of, you know, using a car window mount, you know, maybe there's a road system there where you can just, you know, glass miles, 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 spot, whatever, hopefully you're looking for and be like, okay, now we've got a job ahead of us because we had the big dog spotter with us. And right. now we spotted something forever away. And then now it's time to go. And then 
maybe you bring your little spotter because you have one of those too, or yeah. you got your 12s and you're like, yep, let's ride dirty and just, you know, go after it. So like everything is so nuanced and it just depends, like you said, on the landscape, on the person, you know, and, uh, and the game that they're after. Yeah. Right. Like I mm-hmm. went on, uh, an Alpine black bear hunt a couple years ago and all I brought was my 12s, you know, yeah. cause I was interested yeah. in finding a bear right mm-hmm. like i wasn't like i was like yeah let's you know let's go bear like i wasn't like oh let's, i need right. to find like you know let's find the biggest one on the mountain no i was so and bears those are not the type of like you're not you're looking at general body features to determine age you're mm-hmm. not looking at like how how long is this time you know right. that's there's a difference so i like that's a, gr- a really good call yeah yeah you know they stand out right most of them mm-hmm. in the area i mean not all of them where we're hunting you know they're black. You know what I mean? So it's either going to be a black stump or a black bear, you know, like they stand yeah, out yeah. pretty good. Yeah. So it's like, again, it's like, oh, okay. Like, and we, we had a, we had a spotter with us. Somebody had a spotter. So that was nice. Right. But like, I didn't feel like everybody needed to have a spotting scope for that hunt, you know? No, definitely so, not. Yeah. Um, it's just yeah, one it's, thing though. I go on, you know, various guided hunts because like, you know, sheep or whatever, you have to be guided. And all the time, the outfitter will say, you don't need a spotting scope. The guide has one. And dude, I don't play that game. (laughs) I do not want to be sitting there while my guides like looking at a Ram for an hour. And I'm like, you know, I want to be there in the process. I want to see everything. I want to know. Like I always take my spotter. Now, maybe in that situation, like the guide is carrying 85 and I bring my 55 because mm-hmm. I'm still in the game and I'm not having to carry that much weight, but maybe I carry my full size too. It just depends on the hunt. I don't, I do not like, you know, I don't like not having my scope. Well, you don't, you know, like the bear hunt things different because you know, you got buddies sharing a scope and you're hunting bears. It's different. Yeah. You know, one scope does it for sure. No question. Yeah. But, yeah. It, well, and then in that scenario that you're describing, like sheep hunting or, you know, mule, even mule deer or whatever, like yep. if somebody's really buried in the spotter and you're watching a buck, you, as much as you can relay what's going on verbally, mm-hmm. the other person still feels like they're in the dark. Yeah. You know? When um, you're making big decisions, it's like, do mm-hmm. we go after this ram? And you have to look at a ram for a long time to decide if he's legal, first of all. And then like how big he is, how old he is, all these different things are, are, you have to spend a lot of time. It's not like, Oh, there's a ram. Let's go kill him. Mm -hmm. You know, and same with, you know, when you're, when you're trophy hunting big deer, same thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gosh. It's like, you try to like, Oh, what should a person get? And it's just like the answer, like, it's such a lame answer. It's like, it depends, you know? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, I've just, I've spent a lot of years accumulating optics and you know, you like, I have a lot of optics, but I didn't buy them all at once. No, you know, like I'll buy one. And then a few years later, I'll buy another one and, and you just keep them. And then you have kind of an arsenal of, of tools you can use. If you buy high quality stuff, you, th- these things are not, you're not going to wear them out that easily. You know, it's, and they're not going to be, it's not like the technology is changing all the time with this stuff. I mean, there may be some new coding or whatever, but man, a good optics, a good optic from 10 years ago, is still a great optic today, you know? Mm-hmm. And we're so lucky right now with what a person can get from a, you know, optical, optical quality and performance standpoint without just absolutely killing themselves in their pocketbook. You know, like, I mean, that's, that has changed. That has totally changed. A cheap optic 10 years ago sucked. Mm-hmm. And today they're not that bad. No, I mean, you can do 
some pretty serious work without, you know, there's, there's that, um, you know, like I look at like our Viper HD line, mm-hmm. you know, like, which I would call, like, I'd call that like an upper mid tier. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is impo- important to point out too, like really high quality optics, like super high performing. They don't carry that top tier price tag, but they're not that far away at the same time, you know, and, and there is that, um, you know, like a, a diminishing returns aspect to optics, you know, like mm-hmm. the difference between gotcha. a, yeah. uh, and I'm just using round numbers here, but like, uh, like, you know, like a hundred dollar binocular and a $500 binocular leaps and bounds. Right. Yeah. Like, like, right. I mean, like you're talking like light years apart from one another, Yeah, a thousand dollars to, or uh, $500 to a thousand dollars, like not as big a jump. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're paying more, you're getting more, but it's less of an incremental increase in performance. Interesting. Um, yeah. And then from a thousand to 2000, you think it's even a smaller marginal hundred percent. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, that's that I would agree with that. That's nice. That's a good point. So it's, I think it's up to, you know, that that's when it really becomes up to the individual, like, okay, so I'm going to pay, X amount more, which could be significant for, you know, maybe not that much of a difference, right? What does mm-hmm. that mean for me? Is that going to affect the outcome of my hunt? Is that going to affect uh, my experience on the hunt? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if the answer is no, I'd save the change and go buy another deer or elk tag. Yeah, right. Yeah, because you are you are making decisions. We're making decisions every day with our money and how we how we invest it into our hunting. That's a really good point. Yeah, though generally. You know, I, I, there's a lot of people who think skimping on, on optics is, is the right decision. And I, I generally don't think, you know, the old saying, like spend more on your scope than your gun, you know, that that's generally, I think that's true. You know, there's op, good optics make a huge difference. Again, I think you brought up a good point. If it's somebody who's just occasionally looking at a deer to see if it's a buck or whatever, that's different than somebody spending a lot of time behind the glass, but man, good glass. See, the thing about good glass too, is it makes you want to look through it. So you went exactly where I was. I was, you took the words out of my mouth, you know, the the better optical, the better optics you have, the more you want to use them because number one, they're just like, it's a more pleasant viewing experience. Right. But they're also doing more for you. So you're being more effective with them and you can just see, yeah, like, the better optics yeah. you have, the more you're going to use them. If you got crummy optics, you're not going to want to use them. They're not doing anything for you. You might as well yeah. be carrying the, the lead weight with you. You know, I bought my my kids like a really cheap pair of binos to use while I was teaching them to hunt, and I couldn't get them to use it. And then I would use it. I'm like, gosh, this sucks. And I finally just like I gave it away. I'm like, this is stupid. I'm gonna get something halfway decent for them to look through. I was, you know, I let them use my backup pair or whatever, but it's a joke to like not you're not giving a new hunter a good experience by giving them really crappy glass. No, no, that's yeah. I mean, like that could be like a net negative, right? Yeah. Like if you're yeah. on an optics intensive hunt and they're just like, dude, this sucks. Yeah. I don't really want to do that. Wasn't that fun? I don't want to do that again. It's like, oh I'm nagging my kids, look through your binos, look through your binos. You need to learn to glass. And they're like, okay, dad. Yeah. You know, and then I pick it up. I'm like, oh, geez. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> you know, but that, then I'll point back to what we were saying earlier though. Like, and just, you know, 
within the vortex lineup, you look at like, um, you know, a crossfire or a diamondback, like a diamondback 10 by 42, that's going to retail for like 230 bucks. Pretty darn good optical quality for not a giant chuck and change. You know, a person is going to have a good viewing experience. And, and, you know, like you said, you can hand that to your kids and you're not like, you know, biting your nails going, I hope they don't drop it or, you know, uh, you know, it's going to end up with, uh, you know, chocolate smeared on the lens or whatever. You know what I mean? Like you can be a little bit, uh, you know, a little less worried about it, but then, you know, also within the, you know, talk about vortex, like something happens to it. I mean, we do have unconditional lifetime transferable, no fault warranty. Like if you're, you know, I mean, you guys have a really good warranty. You know, and I always say we try to, we work really hard at building our stuff. So a person never has to use it. Like that's our goal. Right. And I'd say most people don't, but it's there if you need it. And it's kind of, you know, you can kind of, I guess, rest easy, you know, um, with that. And I guess while we're talking about that, you know, for, for people, for anybody who's using their optics, well, when's it going to go down? Likely. Right. You know, I mean, and we get some wild scenarios of, you know, a dude got kicked in the chest by a horse that broke his binos. Right. We've had people drop their spotter off a cliff. Right. Mm-hmm. It happens during the season when you need it. Right? right. So we work really hard at like, hey, if you get it to us, like we're going to turn it quick, you know, and I'd say yep. a very, uh, you know, you know, sometimes that's within a couple of days. Right. Yeah. You know, once no, I've we heard get stories it, of oh. it. You have a great reputation with that. Well, right on, Mark. Um, I think, I think we, uh, well, we were at, I think we're at about an hour and we covered it, man. That was, I, I think that went really well. I really appreciate your insights that you did an awesome job today. I, I know all the listeners uh, appreciate it. So good stuff. No, man, I appreciate you having me on to chat. You know, this is definitely one of our, our favorite topics and there's, there's, uh, I mean, it's like, it's like we covered so much and yet there's, I mean, there's so much more. I mean, you could get into, which actually the, the person to have on to talk about that stuff would be uh, Mike here. I mean, he can get into the, you know, just the science behind the, all this yeah. stuff and just completely nerd out on it. But um, yeah, I'm, well, I'm yeah, your guy. at some point we, we lose people too. You know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it would be an interesting conversation for sure for us total optics nerds, but for um, sure, for sure. But yeah, that, but we, we appreciate it. I appreciate it, Mark. Um, really good stuff today. Absolutely not. We'll, uh, we'll talk again, man. Nope. Appreciate it, man. Let's uh, chat soon and take care. All right. You too. Thanks. Thanks.